The following podcast is recorded and produced by the Podcast Precinct in affiliation with the network at BICBP-radio.com. The Podcast Precinct. Consistency. Creativity. Culture. And welcome back to another episode of Hardly Kayfabe. You know, for Pro Wrestling Talk right here on the network at BICBP-radio.com. My name is Matt Johnson, one of your hosts, and alongside with me uh, is the, the cast and crew of Hardly Kayfabe. Uh, firstly, Mr. Christopher Chavez. Hailing from parts unknown. <laughs> <laughs> Boom, fire pyro. And also in the other corner, hailing from somewhere in North Carolina, <laughs> Mr. Johnny Townsend. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, I, I uh, just tried to uh, figure out what's going on with all these wrestling ropes, right? The ring ropes. I mean, they're just having a rough time here lately. It's been pretty crazy. I think it's from all those times that Warrior just shook the living shit out of him. <laughs> so, uh, gotta replace those ropes. Yeah. So, if you guys don't know, there was a, uh, this is as, this is as, uh, recent as I'll ever get on this show. But there was a pay per view <laughs> or whatever you would call them now. And they had a pretty creative finish that involved the ropes, uh, kind of giving way. So, I hate when uh, the ropes break. Yeah. It was at Extreme Rules in which none of the matches had any Extreme Rules. So <laughs> <laughs> the most extreme thing that happened was was that at for whatever reason at some point the Spanish uh, commentary overlapped the English commentary. Uh, so it was a great time. That's it pretty hardcore. Yeah, it's pretty hardcore. I think so. It's about as hardcore as it can get. You know, I, mean, I can't think of anything even more hardcore than that. And I know people who are in the Bills Mafia. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah, I can get a little, a little crazy, a little crazy. That's that's pretty hardcore, mixing up the yep. languages for sure. Uh, as we said a couple weeks ago, listeners, we are doing our first wrestler biopic today, and I'm really excited to get to talk about my favorite wrestler of all time, uh, the one, the only, Rick Martel. All right, Rick Martel is a guy who uh, criminally underrated, I think, by a lot of, in a lot of uh, people's opinions, uh, and and some people just like, ah, who's that? <laughs> you know, in a lot in a lot of instances. So I kind of wanted to go around uh, and ask you all what's your, uh, you know, what's your impression, what your your first, you know, time hearing, knowing, seeing uh, Rick Martel in action. Johnny, we'll start out with you. Well, here's the thing: he was one of those wrestlers, and there's a number of them that I was aware of that I remember the name of, but I couldn't like remember very much about him besides the fact that he was, he was billed as the model, that type of thing. And he was uh, obviously in really good shape. That's the only thing I can remember. Uh, but so I went back and trying to refresh my memory 
uh, just yesterday trying to look into stuff about him and I'd forgotten some of this stuff that I did remember did bring back some memories uh, but I for the life of me he was one of those that and maybe it's my fault but he just didn't stand out or or whatever in my eyes for whatever reason maybe he just wasn't my cup of tea at the time <laughs> or something like that I don't know but uh, yeah uh, so it's pretty interesting actually going back I I was telling Matt before we started recording that uh, this gave me the chance to actually watch a couple of his matches uh, just to kind of see. And the dude was really good. I mean, that's kind of putting it plainly. The dude was, he was a great wrestler. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I had to ask Matt what his finisher was because I really didn't know. Yeah, I, I couldn't remember. tell you either. For me, the same thing. So I, I I was aware of him as the model as well. That's That was when he first came on the scene for me. Um, or, well, that's when he first came into my, you know, What's the word I'm always looking for when I'm trying to say that? Like, I mean, it's my radar <laughs> when he came on to there my radar, go. right? So uh, it was as the model gimmick, and I think it was late '80s, late late '80s, early '90s. Um, and the, the only thing I really remembered was that he wore this this uh, like vest, the bow tie. And he came out with the the bug sprayer thing that's supposed to be the perfume. Yes, you know yes. what I mean. Aragon. And I just remember him just kind of, <laughs> and he wore uh, Ray Bans, right? Sometimes he'd wear Ray Bans, and he'd come out and he'd just be looking at everybody with a smile, like, "Yes, I am the model." You know what I mean? <laughs> Walking down, and didn't he used to have? Uh, was it a manager or a woman that walked with him? Him no? and he had him and Shawn Michaels fought over Sensational Sherry. Okay, splitting the services. They actually had a really good match at SummerSlam in 1992 where uh, they the rule, the one stipulation was they could not punch each other in the face or they'd be disqualified. <laughs> <laughs> it was heel versus heel, and it was, a, it was really, it really so good. good. It was yeah. really good. That is That's so good. A pretty interesting little thing to throw in there for that. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Play yeah, to each of their gimmicks. Yeah. I definitely remember the arrogance thing, and actually uh-huh. you can go on YouTube and find all the little vignettes they did for uh that little arrogance thing because he actually did little uh i mean obviously they were little promos but they mm-hmm. were kind of set up as commercials for yeah. like uh for like perfumes or or musk mm-hmm. or whatever you want to call it <laughs> uh, but he'd always have that little bug spray like thing yeah it, so it's pretty funny like he uh, like the one that stick out my head is like he was like on a horse <laughs> with a cow- cowboy doing, hat. he was doing like yeah. yeah hoity-toity like stuff like playing tennis and yeah yeah he had the just the best get-ups now so, so you guys are relatively, you're not super, super you're familiar enough with them to know who he is, but yeah, um, not super. My actually first knowledge of Rick Martel came from uh, WWF Royal Rumble for the Sega Genesis. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and I loved his 16 bit, his song in like 16 bit. I don't know why it just like, it worked. It was cool. And I was like, you know what? This dude's, he's pretty cool. I'm going to play as Rick Martel. And that was like, for the longest time, that was the only like knowledge I had of him because by the time I started like comprehending stuff, understanding wrestling, he was out the door at WF. I think he was in WCW um, by that point, and he wasn't really the model anymore. But but yeah, so there was that. And then when I started to get like once YouTube and wireless internet and all that stuff happened, I started watching his matches. I'm like, man, this dude was great. Like, how was he never? At least in WWF, how is he never anything bigger than just like a, this 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 gimmick? You know, no championships, no no well, no singles titles in WWF. I would say it's unfortunate, but when you think about just the the star power and the rising stars of the time, 
it's just unfortunate he just got outshone. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because honestly, like, there's a lot of guys that, like, I would think back on that era and think, oh, I, I recognize him as a hard worker, or oh, he was a high flyer. This dude was flashy. This guy was all about the spots. But for Martel, like I said, the only thing I remember is the gimmick, and that was it. It's unfortunate because now I'm listening to you say that, and it makes me feel like I need to go back and watch actual matches for that this dude had. You know what I mean? No, I I, I highly recommend it. His we're gonna talk about it in a little bit, but his stuff in the AWA was like really like that was like his best run, I think, as far as being a competitor as being like uh the accolades. But in you know WF, you, you are right. You do bring up a great point, Chris. Is that you know, there, there was so much star power, right? You know, these mid-card matches are made up, mid, like middle-of-the-card matches in this time period are made up of, of people who are Hall of Famers now, you yeah. know, and eventually would fight on the main event scene. It was that deep. You know, we always, you know, Roddy Piper is always one we like to look back on as one of those really accomplished or not, like, not uh, accomplished, but not, you know, uh, not a whole lot of hardware to kind of go with his right. career. And I yeah. think, and, and I think Rick Martel, nobody will ever, you know, put Rick Martel over Roddy Piper in that, in that, uh, you know, in that instance. But, um, but yeah, when and Roddy was still active at this point, I think he ended up at, you know, wrestled Bret Hart around like the time where Rick Martel was in, but you know, it, how hard was it for Roddy Piper to, to, to be like, you know, to, to be a champion. Not right. that he ever needed, right. he never needed it, but you know, Intercontinental was the highest thing, the highest accomplishment he ever did in the WF. And it wasn't even a very long run at that. Which is crazy to think about when you know the kind of worker he was and just really like the character, some of the, the biggest storylines he contributed to, you know? Absolutely. Well, you also you also got to realize that in the WWF at the time, uh, I mean, you're going from Hogan to the Warrior, right. Right? the Ultimate Warrior. And those are two guys who just aren't going to lose, right? They're just not going to let them lose. So they're going to have their spots, uh, you know, for as long as they kind of wanted them for the most part. And then uh, there's always in every era and every era, I mean, including now, there's always wrestlers that we really like. And we're like, why aren't they getting used better? Right. right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I kind of pray why it <laughs> or how or how come <laughs> no one's really talking about them much? You know? What yeah. I mean? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I, sadly, that means a lot of really, really good wrestlers kind of fall through the cracks and, um, uh, uh, you know, unless you're like a hardcore fan or something like that, uh, that's kind of sad to me because obviously this guy put in a lot of work and uh, probably deserves some. Just like I always thought, Roddy Piper deserved a title at some point, but you know, uh, sometimes it's just not in the cards for whatever reason. For sure, maybe, maybe I'm trying to I'm trying to decide if his model gimmick, even though I thought he did it really well, I'm trying to decide if it kind of held him back a little bit because it was it had a bit of a uh, a comedic edge to it to me a little bit. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Um, and, and while me personally, obviously, cause I come from the comedy world, I think comedy can headline stuff even in wrestling. Oh, in this day and age. Absolutely. Yeah. But back then I, you know, that's, that really limited you. If they kind of saw you as some sort of, if they saw you just as the gimmick or, or whatever is, is the, I mean, I'm sure we'll get into it, but I'm very curious what his highest profile match was if it was the Shawn michaels one or or something like that it might it might have been i definitely have to look into that i know he had a a, a big feud with uh jake the snake roberts at one point he blinded it he did like a blindfold match or something like that where well, I mean, he, he actually he blinded an example right perfect example uh, of a guy who was like damn should have hit should have had more yeah. yeah 
But um, but all right. So let's get into the history of uh, one Rick Martel. So he was born in 1956, March 18th, 1956 in Quebec City, Quebec, Canada. Um, his actual name is Richard Vignault, Vigneault, uh, V-I-G-N-E-A-U-L-T. I'm going to guess we're both not very, uh, all three of us are not very fluent in uh, in whatever the hell. Ho, ho, ho. Yeah, I'm not <laughs> Richard, ho, ho, ho. Yeah, that's, that's his last name. <laughs> I, yeah, I just, I don't got it. He has one child, um, and he's been married since 1983, so. Um, that's a very that's a rarity in, in the world of wrestling. A lot of guys bouncing around between spouses and whatnot. True. So yeah. Um, so kudos to that. Uh, some of his ring names that he's worked under his career: Gus Griffin, Rick Martell, and the model. Gus Griffin. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, Gus, Gus Griffin. Griffin. What kind? Like, what kind of gimmick is that? Do I we know? know? I, I don't From even... hell, it's <laughs> Gus Griffin. From parts unknown, <laughs> Gus Griffin. That's so amazing. With his uncle Peter Griffin. Uh, <laughs> hey Lois, I'm going into wrestling. <laughs> this is my cousin <laughs> Gus. <laughs> Ow. Ow. So uh, so his his debut, uh June seventh, nineteen seventy three is when he made his debut and he retired on March twenty third, nineteen eighty nine. So his early career, Martel came from a family of wrestlers. And uh you know, he just it just kind of came up through the ranks. And by the age of 17, he made his professional debut. Um, his, his brother, Michael, or I don't know, actually, the way this is spelled, it could be Michelle. I don't know. Um, Michelle. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. very well or, could be. Uh, Michelle. Asked, uh, Michelle. There's a lot of different avenues. Again, we're not good on the pronunciation game. Uh, but he was asked, asked him to, you know, uh, fill in for an injured wrestler. And he went out there and, uh, you know, he was a pretty accomplished amateur wrestler. It just translated naturally. And, uh, you know, within within, you know, a year or so, Martel was rising up to the ranks. He went uh, he's been in titles in Canada. He's a big fixture of Stu Hart Stampede Wrestling, which, you know, we all have come to know and love and, and, and put on a pedestal. Uh, he got involved in the NWA and, at the, you know, in the in the 70s and 80s, NWA was was pretty big. Uh, he was a part of their Vancouver base. So we, a lot of the Canada stuff, not too much in the United States very early in his career, but he went to. uh uh, New Zealand, Japan, Hawaii, and Puerto Rico. And uh, his first big break in the United States didn't come until, uh, I think, roughly 1979. It was an NWA affiliate called Pacific Northwest Wrestling. And that was, so was I say, four, no, six years, six years in the business, and he didn't get to wrestle in the United States until then. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so he, he's, you know, paying his dues. He's going up against, uh, you know, these, these, Top Canadian eight, Buddy Rose, who, you know, I think was a pretty well-renowned wrestler at that point. And, uh, and eventually he makes his way to the World Wrestling Federation. 1980, July of 1980 is uh, when he makes his debut. He's a tag team heavy wrestler. That's kind of where they, they use him at in that time period. Him and Tony Gurea, uh tag up. And they actually uh, were tag team champions. These were the only, some of the only titles that uh, Rick Martel sees in the World Wrestling Federation. They defeated the Wild Samoans on November 8th of 1980 to win. And then they dropped him to the Moondogs in 1981. They won him back in July 20, uh, on July 21st of 81. And they lost to Mr. Fuji and Mr. Saito. I'm not a, the Moondogs. I can't recall who these guys were. Do you guys remember who the Moondogs were? I remember them a little bit. Actually, funny story. When I worked at Dick's Sporting Goods in Rochester, 
uh, on the website, if you looked hard enough, they had trading cards for the moon dogs. <laughs> Still, nice. Um, nice. They're very moon dogs. <laughs> I'm trying to th- picture it. They were very, uh, very country, <laughs> very plentiful. I would say I just went to the Wikipedia and I'm looking at the members. So they have core members. There are one, two, three, I, yeah. four, five core I remember, members. I definitely remember them because once you see what they look like, it's like, oh, but yeah. And <laughs> do you see all the other members that uh, people who are member? Good Lord. Yeah, that was quite the family. I mean, the brave, the, the Wyatt family didn't even get this crazy. No. No, wow. and there's a lot of people who love to call themselves moon dogs on the indie on the indies too. Really? And, uh, oh yeah, it's, it's it's like almost doing the clown bad as far as it's something to be go. proud of. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's a badge of honor yeah. to be a moon dog. <laughs> and they're it's holding amazing. Like, yeah, they're uh, holding through. They're holding. Yeah, it's it's wild. It's that's jokes. amazing. <laughs> um, I love it. Great yeah, but also, can we just uh, also stop for a second and say, Mr. Fuji, dude? I remember Mr. Fuji. That whole gimmick with the with that the bowler hat and the you, the, the suit coming out. I mean, it was just like, I don't. Would that pass nowadays? Do you think, or do you I, think that would be considered a little like too racist to to? I don't to know play because that type it's of character like a stereotype in a way. I'm not sure. I, I'm not. I'm not sure how that would really pan out. Mm-hmm. I mean, if it's if it's a person of that nationality playing it, I, I'm not sure. You know, it, it also depends on who's telling them to do it. If they want to do True. it on their own right, it's True. one of those one of those strange True. things. But um, it is really cool to see Mr. Fuji's name here. We all Heck know yeah, him as, as the manager of uh, Yokozuna in the '90s. But as far as his active wrestling yeah, career, yeah, yeah, that's not you know, it's not what you know. That's not really where a lot of people remember Mr. Fuji from. Exactly, exactly. I just remember him as the manager, for sure. So. Uh, he left after they uh, they had a, a rematch against Fuji and Saito, and uh, after a while, Martel's like, ah, "I'm out. This is not what I thought it would be." He left in April of 1982. Uh, right, not too far after uh, leaving the WWF, he uh, he joined the American Wrestling Association, the AWA, which was uh, probably number three, right at, at that point in time, and and as far as pro wrestling promotions go. Uh, yeah, WF didn't really hit a stride, but you got the NWA, probably WWF, and then the uh, then yeah, and then AWA, and uh, he he shot up quickly. They knew what they had with them. Uh, I know uh, Ganya was the, was the owner. Uh, you know he Booker he loved the shooters. I right? loved guys who could you know those technical wrestlers. He um, ring like early day Ring of Honor comparable. So like Martel going out there and do what he could do. He was like you know. Moister than an oyster, uh, <laughs> b- booking this guy going forward. And uh, by on May 13th, 1984, he defeated a man by the name of Jumbo Saruta, who uh, was the, for the AWA World Heavyweight Championship. And this is his first major world title. And his, actually, his reign lasted a very, very long time, 19 months nearly, the third longest title reign and long, uh, third longest title reign of the awa championship uh but it was the longest title run of the uh of the 1980s for that belt but he wrestled a lot of big time matches here actually when i first started training for wrestling i studied an hour-long match between him and harley race and went to a 60 minute time limit or no i don't know if it's iron man excuse me but it did go to a 60 minute time limit draw um yeah it was uh, a really really good match i love the finish to it it was it was on youtube i'm not sure if it was if it still is but he went up against a lot of the big stars 
They did a, you know, a lot of interpromotional stuff. Keep in mind, Harley Race was NWA champion at the time. AWA and NWA would mesh. Uh, Martel also faced off against Ric Flair here during this run. Also a champion for sure. Uh, Jimmy Garvin, Nick Bockwinkle, King Tonga. Okay. So a lot of big time names. Um, And we talked about his finishing move uh, at this point in time. And this is why I love this time period. His finishing moves were a slingshot splash and a atomic drop back suplex. So very simplistic. Nice. So no 450 off the top rope. Sorry. <laughs> um, no Canadian destroyer. Off no the Canadian rope. destroyer. Yeah. Shame. Forced shame. Uh, on December 29th, 1985, Martel finally lost that title to uh, Stan Hansen, who I feel like I, I like Stan Hansen is like a big time name. I don't know if he's in his. I don't really know if he's in his prime at this point. He's in his forties, right? You said this is the eighties. This is the yeah. You know, he debuted in seventy three as well. Um, I guess kind of sorta. I I feel like I always feel like Stan Hansen is like such a bigger name from before, but yeah. I, I guess I guess I was wrong. Um, and he made him tap to a uh, uh, his own version of the Boston Crab. Uh, so that was pretty much Martell lasted a little bit longer. Then he returned to the WWF, and this was his longest run by. Um, by far, they partnered up with uh, Tom Zank, and they were the Can Am Connection. And yeah, they were actually Zank actually dated Martel's sister, is married to her, or dated her, or something like that. But he started to get a lot, you know, bigger looks now as a tag team. They were they were at uh, WrestleMania three. They wrestled and defeated Ace uh, Bob Orton and the Magnificent Don Morocco in, in the opening match for that. So a lot, some big. Uh, when you're the opening match for a card as big as that, it's uh, it, it's it's pretty impressive. But um, uh, you know that that lasted as long. Zank, I think, left, retired. He was just exhausted. And then uh, where most famously his his most famous tag team, uh, Rick Martel teamed up with uh, Tito Santana, and became Strike Force. And they were that for two years. And I think it was a loss at one of the WrestleManias, uh, and they split up. I think it might have been four. Yeah, I think it was at WrestleMania four. He turned on like Tito Santana, one of those WrestleManias, and uh, you know that was kind of it. He got into a few with Tito, and then he kind of he, he came back, and he was Rick Martel. He went off on a solo run, and this is where he really began to soar. Um, he, oh, Reverend Slick. Slick was his manager for a little while too. Gotta love uh-huh. Reverend Slick. Uh, yeah, the model gimmick, what, you know, kind of pushed him huge. They did all those vignettes. They, 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 they gave him this, this big run. Like I said, he was, it just looked incredible. 1980s, late 1980s pro wrestling is all about body guys. Mm-hmm. And Rick Martel was like fatty. Uh, and he had a, just this unique look, a guy, a, a big Jack guy in pink tights and, and, and white tight and, and like a bright shade of blue tight. It was very like, it was, it was mind blowing at that time, but he pulled it off and made it work. He literally just. You know, he had a sport coat, large lapel, just all this stuff. Um, his pay-per-view singles debut was at WrestleMania six in the Sky Dome. He defeated Coco Beware with the uh, with the Boston Crab. So that was his like first big singles pay-per-view match. Um, but his highest profile one, we mentioned him and Jake the Snake. Uh, <laughs> Martel blinded him with his arrogance on the Brother Love show in October 1990. And they they wrestled in their blindfold match. But uh but yeah, it, it was a lot of bouncing around. Rick Martel got a lot of love in, in a lot of those early '90s Royal Rumbles. 
that was a big thing of his. He'd last a long time. Um, he was a kind of a favorite to, I wouldn't say a favorite, but he was one of the upper echelon guys in the 1992 Royal Rumble that Ric Flair won the WWF championship. They were touting, you know, Rick Martel. He was in there, I think, the longest, or he had pretty close to one of the longest uh, tenures in that Royal Rumble, if I'm not mistaken. But, um, but yeah, it just on and off, you know, stuff with Shawn Michaels. We already mentioned the 1992 um, match there, a, a, a few with Tatanka. And then 1993 just kind of hit the bottom of the card. And it was, you know, he's not even getting a lot of TV time, a lot of house shows, stuff like that. Just uh, very, very disappointing stuff. August 1994, he, he he was pretty much completely done. He showed up in the 1995 Royal Rumble, and that was it. Um, that was really it for him. And it's hard because, I mean, you're seeing the birth of the Attitude Era. So you're seeing, you know, like, so Shawn Michaels and, you know, Triple H, these guys, as uh, you know, Road Dog, they're coming up with Attitude. Stone Cold's got Attitude. The Rock's got Attitude. And then you got Rick Martel, who's kind of holding on to an old Scott, old school style gimmick of like this. Look at me. I'm, an, I'm the arrogance guy, right? Like the old school, like Ric Flair, you know, when he used to come out and and like everybody, he'd have somebody come and pull his robe off of him with all the feathers. NWA days. You know what I mean? Right. So it's hard when the attitude of everything is starting to change and his character still hasn't. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I mean, for five years, he did the model gimmick with with little to no um, yeah. four to five years to me with little to no progress. Like I said, featured heavily big Survivor Series tag matches and I see title match here and there. But other than and then that, you got Razor Ramon, like Razor Ramon kind of has the same thing, but with attitude. Do you right. know what I mean? Yeah. So it's it's tough. It's tough when you it's yeah, I can see why we're starting to lose him. And now he's an undercard stuff. For sure. So, yeah, he was out by then. And he, of course, he still wanted to wrestle. He's just like, you know, I'm just not getting these opportunities. I don't want to go out there and um, show what I can do. He wrestled Tito Santana on September 9th, 1994 uh, for a a rare appearance for the International World Class Championship Wrestling. That is a mouthful of a promotion uh, to talk about. He also uh, this is a pretty cool. He teamed with a guy by the name of Don Callis uh, as the supermodels. And they uh, they feuded. With uh, a very young edging Christian. So wow, for a little yeah. while, so 1990, 19, yeah, 1997. Just when, you, just when you think you know me, <laughs> <laughs> uh, his, <laughs> his last big run was in WCW. He dropped the model gimmick. He just kind of was, uh, I, I would, I don't want to say vanilla, but he just kind of, he's just Rick Martel, just technical wrestling. Um, no really gimmick at all. He won the television championship on uh, on February 16th, 1998. And he dropped it to Booker T on February 22nd. He tore a, uh, he tore, what was the injury? Tore a ligament inside of his right knee. And that was kind of, uh, that was kind of it. He bounced around, did some stuff, but he just, it, it wasn't after that WF run, it, there really wasn't a whole lot to really sink his teeth into. And then, of course, he, uh, he officially, um, he officially retired in 1999. He did have this little, I just noticed this. Brock Lesnar introduced him to the ring and shook his hand on May 3rd, 2003. They were doing a house show in Quebec city. And uh, that's pretty cool. You don't hear about yeah, Brock yeah, Lesnar doing kidding. nice things for other people um, very often, but I mean, that's his story in a nutshell. All right. That's, that, that's kind of his career in a nutshell, a, uh, a, a pretty interesting run. Like I said, uh, not so accomplished everywhere except the WWF, which is where you want to be accomplished. 
but a, a career that's still worthy of, you know, hanging your hat on. Yeah. So Matt, my question for you would be, what about this guy just made him like, you know, stand out to you and made him one of your favorite wrestlers? Um, I think it was, it, I mean, I think that model gimmick, to be honest with you, uh, you know, it's a confidence oh, thing. You're both models. Yeah, yeah totally. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I actually, when I did backyard wrestling, I, I was trying to be, I was trying to be him. Really? You know what I mean, like, I, I love, I was definitely nowhere in, in as good a shape as him. What but, was the name? Uh, just the, the, the model Rick or the model Matt Johnson or whatever that, that was all I did. I, That's I ripped amazing. it off. Oh. I came out to his theme music. I was hoping Matt. you'd say Matt Martell because that uh, would have been like, and then start billing yourself as his illegitimate son. <laughs> oh, there we go. I That's love that. classic backyard wrestling. That's what exactly, I would have. Exactly, bro. If you had been in my backyard wrestling federation, <laughs> I would have done that for you. Yeah, that's how we would have booked you, bro. Thank that's you, how we would have booked you. Thank you, Johnny. You With the spray, sure. spray bottles and everything, dude. Like yeah, just the whole so gimmick. The, yeah, the, the uh, main event would be Johnny the Crusher versus uh, <laughs> Matt, Matt Martell. Johnny, we did in my dreams once you and I did win the tag team titles. So say that's what I'm talking about. So nice. we did that's somewhere amazing. in the mountains of West Virginia. I don't know why that happened, but <laughs> it did. It's but a beautiful place. It is. It, it is. <laughs> but yeah, for what you know, what appealed to me with Rick is again the I think the underratedness. Right? It's yeah. so easy. It's so easy to like the Hulk Hogan's and Rick mm-hmm. Flair's and Shawn Michaels of the world. Stone Cold's, yeah. Stone Cold's, the Rocks. You know, the list is forever long. I want to know why that guy, why this guy who looks like a professional wrestler, he, you know, he could do all the moves. I mean, again, not, not the greatest promo, uh, but he has the personality, I think, to go with it. He just technically just really good matches. Why wasn't he able to um, ascend like some of these other pieces? And I get, you know, now that I've been in wrestling, I, I understand it to an extent. Maybe he was a guy who didn't need a title as the model. Um but I don't want to, you know, just not just focus on that, but he was just accomplished everywhere else. And like I said, the confidence that it took to pull off that model gimmick in that era, it was just, it was refreshing. Like looking back at it, you know, I got these all these macho dudes, right? All this intense rock music, right? All this intense, like this, we're coming out to this sweet rock music. We're going to get you pumped up. And this dude walks up to one of the, probably the most relaxing WWE themes of all time. <laughs> all right I, I i dug it it just there's a lot of elements that were and plus two again that era his finishing moves were so simple his maneuvers are so simple you didn't need crazy moves to get over and do stuff and it, it, i know that was the era but you know when when one of your signature moves I, I think he was in one of the most recent wwe games i think like 2k18 2k19 and like a, a backbreaker was like one of his like signature moves like one of his popular yeah. moves i i love that era wrestling for it and it was characters like him who you know, just, just define that era for me. Yeah. I think it also kind of maybe hindered him that his gimmick was about his looks in a way, um, which was not his fault. I guarantee you that gimmick was given to him, but yeah. Um, you know, it's, I mean, in this era, cause when I think of uh, people whose gimmick around this time, like I'm thinking Rick Rude, you know, uh, people like that who would wear their face on their pants, you know, stuff yeah. like that. Um, so maybe that's what, you know, Rick was missing. He needed some more of that, of that edge to him. I think he would have went a long way if he had just a extra, extra edge. arrogance. Yeah. yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Like Sean Michaels had the, like, I know 
women want me that kind of yeah. arrogance you know like that overboard like playboy style uh you know like male stripper yeah you know what i mean like that was the idea whereas martel was a little more laid back like you said he comes back we laid out and the way he walked out was kind of just chill Hands yeah it was very, side, like it hey, was, it's me just straightforward pretty straightforward so um so yeah that's his current i did have a couple cool things uh firstly i don't know if you guys have heard it you've heard his theme song him and Val Venus have the same uh, beat to their like instrumental to their song. Val Venus is just sped up quite a bit. That's so, amazing. So that's a little interesting thing that I I always like. Wow, I made that connection. Like, wow, these sound way too similar. Hello, um, ladies. <laughs> uh, it, he has one of the best WWF records of all time that you may not know, like a win loss record, number four all time, hundred and seventy four. Oh, I don't know if it's number four all time, but. He has 174 wins and 45 losses in the World Wrestling Federation. Wow. Okay. A lot of those wins came from house shows. They did take all that into account because um, this boom really happened once house, you know, when house shows became a regular thing, trying to build them up through those house shows. You know, that TV wasn't as frequent as it is nowadays and pay-per-views also not as frequent. Yeah. So a lot of those wins came from house shows trying to build him up. Um, but overall in his career, uh, 1,915 matches recorded per cagematch.net, 1,279 victories, 510 losses, and 126 draws. So uh, his biggest year of wrestling was 1987, competed in 169 matches that year. So I think uh, I kind of think the other thing, and again, I hate I hate that this is a thing, but uh, from what I've seen, he was he was like six foot, right? Just like yeah, he wasn't tall. super tall. That's a good point. That is a good he, point. He definitely had the build. Like his build was fantastic. You could not look at this guy and say he was out of shape. This dude put in work for, for sure. sure. Uh, but you know, everybody knows. I mean, it's a running gag that Vince uh, gets awful in size. Yeah. You know that type <laughs> of deal. So maybe that kind of hurt him too a little bit. You know. Holy shit! Look at the size of that guy. Yeah. <laughs> Make him the champion. Make him the champion. It's literally how it was. That's literally how it was. Listen, Great Kali would never be a champion in any other promotion except WWE. (laughs) Look how tall he is. Those are the delts of a champion. (laughs) Yeah, it's. But he can barely move, Vince. But he's seven (laughs) foot tall. And he could squish a gimmicked basketball. He doesn't have to move as his balls smash his opponents. Let's have him. (laughs) Let's have him be a ladies' man. <laughs> Hello, ladies. Not that guy. <laughs> Everything comes full circle. <laughs> but uh, but yeah. So that's our biopic. A little. I wanted to spotlight Rick Martel. Of course, we're gonna be. There's gonna be plenty of biopics, plenty of spotlights on on, the, on a lot of these wrestlers. Um, you know, throughout. But next week or next time we uh, come back, Johnny Townsend has choice. All right, so we've gone we've gone all the way through the one time Johnny has choice. Uh, his theme is eras. So we're going to talk about a wrestling era. Johnny, do you have no, any idea what kind of era we're talking about? Yes, of course. You know, I, I think it's one that everybody wants us to talk about. It's one of, one of the most popular and most famous eras in, in all of wrestling. I mean, you think of pro wrestling, this was when it was obviously at its tippity top. It's, you know, it's number one. It's when everybody was watching. Everybody's wearing a wrestling shirt. And of course, that's when... Uh, you know, the Bushwhackers were around. So we're gonna be, <laughs> uh, 
No, we're going to be talking about the Attitude Era, of course. <laughs> you should have stuck with it. <laughs> that would have been amazing. The Bushwhacker Era. Specifically when uh, one of them was entering the Royal Rumble and got eliminated right away. That's the era we're going to talk about. Just that short two-minute span. <laughs> <laughs> we got to break down uh, no. his entire stride of the ring. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, which yeah. arm was up at which point. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to talk about, of course, the Attitude Era when wrestling really truly hit it's probably its biggest peak ever yeah so we're going to talk about that swag excellent if it still and if it still holds up which uh sadly doesn't it's all these people who (laughs) want us to come back it can't (laughs) not that version no no you can can have a version of we'll we'll, we'll save this yeah yeah well first yeah definitely save it but all right everybody that is it uh behalf of johnny chris and i kind of stop three one five Thank <laughs> you.